Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we have a really fun podcast episode coming out of the summer. We are exactly one month away from Auburn football coming back. Uh, Just coming off of a really successful and exciting Big Cat weekend, we're going to break down all the commits from that weekend as well as the commits from the uh, remainder of the summer. But Wheeler, let's just hop right into it. Kind of give us your thoughts about Big Cat weekend. Obviously, had a ton of guys in, had a really successful weekend with commits throughout the week. Uh, and obviously, we've got a lot more coming uh, with K.J. Bolden, looking forward to him, um, Jalua Solomon, like a lot of guys that are still to commit. Um, just kind of give us your thoughts about where you're at with this Auburn recruiting class and just kind of a, a, a preview of where your mind's at heading into this weekend. Well, I'm just glad that you're still noble, as always. Um, after a summer away, noble, you know. Had to go do some real work and wasn't able to podcast because he's a judge. Um, but he's still noble, as always. Um, no, a lot has happened since we last had a podcast. Um, Hugh Freeze, I think, has officially turned himself in every Auburn fan's mind, um, even the people that uh, you know were hesitant about hiring him at first. I think everybody is on board and really excited And I think that this all comes at a perfect time because I think as you start to get towards the 12-team playoff, if you don't start getting championship-caliber talent into your roster, the game's going to leave you behind and it's going to be really hard to come back. So I'm really excited. Regardless of what happens this football season, you're starting to bring in that championship talent. And, you know, I think there was a story written last year about – Basically, you have to have a certain number of four and five stars to even be eligible to play in the college football playoff or in the national championship. And that was based off of the research of like how many four and five stars was somebody signing. And last year, miracle of all miracles, Auburn was one of the teams that actually had made that with recent departures, basically having an entire recruiting class leave. And, you know, potentially we'll see, you know, that's up in the air. That'll be something fun to talk about in a second leave you needed to start replenishing or you were going to fall outside of that talent gap where you you just physically can't compete um and so this is just bringing back all uh auburn back to the forefront and really allowing them to compete you know obviously everybody's focused on the two five stars um that were signed or not signed i wish they signed (laughs) committed this week with perry thompson and demarcus riddick I get the feeling, though, based off of the reactions they've had since committing, that these are not just loosey-goosey commits. Um, You know, Demarcus Riddick, while he hasn't said that much, it really, the way that he committed showed me 
that he was kind of up in the air about where to go and that his mom and grandmother had a very strong opinion that they wanted him to go to Auburn. You know, he he committed on his mom's birthday, presented it like a birthday gift. Um, you know, wherever he went, he was going to get plenty of money. And I've always said this. All the people that try to point to, well, Alabama produces NFL talent, well, Georgia produces NFL talent, I think it's very rare that you are developed in college into being an NFL player. Like, I'm almost of the belief that if you were going to be an NFL player, it doesn't matter if you play at Alabama, at San Jose State, like, the NFL is going to find you. It's a billion-dollar business. They are going to watch the tape. You are going to play a team that's good enough. They found, I mean, tons of NFL Hall of Famers come from schools that no one's ever heard of. It comes down to whether or not you want to win a championship. And I think that the pitch that Hugh has been given is you don't have to choose to not win a championship if you come to Auburn, but you can choose to be the guy that people remember. You think, you know, Alabama fans – they were not very good in the mid-2000s. You go and sign Julio Jones. Julio's a legend at Alabama now. People are going to remember Julio way longer than they're going to remember Jalen Waddell. They're going to remember uh, Devontae Smith. All of these guys who, if they had gone to another school, would have been legendary. Everybody would have always remembered them as elite. And honestly, you know, Judy, all of those guys, they're just one of another guy. It's on to the next. And I think that's what he's pitching is like, hey, Perry Thompson, you could be Auburn's Julio Jones. You could be the receiver that leads a class that takes us to a national championship, that takes us to a 12-team playoff. These guys are going to play in the playoff. I mean, 12-team playoff is starting in two years, and so these guys will still be in school. Even if they leave early for the three years, they will be in school in a 12-team playoff, and I am fully believing that we will be one of the top 12 teams in the country by that time. So, I mean, I think that's the pitch. So, Riddick... You've got grandmother trolling Georgia and Alabama fans on Twitter. Obviously, nothing is ever set in stone. Reuben Foster got an Auburn tattoo and still flipped back to Bama. And then Perry Thompson, look, man, Hugh is just a dog on the recruiting trail that he has convinced Perry that he is better at developing receiver talent than Nick Saban is, which I will say, I will say in defense, Hugh actually coaches the offense. And Nick... Coaches the defense. Nick has nothing to do with the receiver development. And if anyone tries to say, you know, oh, look at all the people. No, they were on his team that he was the head coach of. Nick does not ever go over to the receiver room and teach them how to run a route, how to catch a pass. He is a DB coach. He fully admits that he's a defensive guy. He hires offensive coordinators that handle it. He was an offensive guy and can genuinely say, I've developed these guys. Now, on a DB, he cannot say, I developed these DBs. Yeah, and so, you know, that it, it kind of goes back and forth, whereas Saban, when he recruits a receiver, he leverages Alabama, he leverages what his guys have done, but it's like the receivers themselves worked more closely with Sarkeesian, worked more closely with Kiffin, et cetera. And I think, you know, I think the, the Perry Thompson quote was definitely taken out of context. If you actually listen to it, I believe it's clear that he's talking about Hugh Freeze has put guys in the NFL, which is true. And, you know, you look at, you know, obviously Saban has all these first-round receivers, you know, Judy, Smith, Ruggs, Waddle, like all those guys all went in the first round. But at the end of the day, A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf were both second-round picks. And I don't think any – if you looked at any wide receiver in high school and said, would you rather have A.J. Brown's career 
DK Metcalf's career or Jerry Judy's career. And they would all say, I either want to be Metcalf or A.J. Brown because they were better. And so I think that when you look at those kind of guys, it's like Hugh Freeze is proving that he can put wide receivers in the NFL. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Because even if you don't, even if you're getting paid $10 million less on your rookie contract, if you can play, you're going to get an insane contract when it's time. So I, I really don't think that – I think Hugh Freeze has obviously done a great job. I think Marcus Davis deserves a massive shout-out. This was a hire that a lot of people – you know, Ike Killiard was a really good coach for Auburn, great recruiter, had a lot of guys in the class. And obviously when, you know, when Harson was fired, Cadillacs, you know, stepped up to be the interim. An underrated aspect of that is Will Friend and Ike Killiard's contributions to that Texas A&M game, that Mississippi State game, Western Kentucky, Alabama – those guys coming in and really helping the culture. Like those guys were integral parts of the culture. Everyone wanted Ike Killiard to be the guy for Hugh Freeze year one, myself included. I really wanted to keep Ike. Obviously, that's not the direction they went. They hired Marcus Davis, who was an Auburn guy, but was extremely inexperienced and really would not have been hired at any SEC school other than Auburn. The only reason that he was qualified to coach at Auburn was because he used to play there. That's just a fact of the matter. But he came in, and he is lighting it up on the recruiting trail. This summer alone landed three-star wide receiver Bryce Kane earlier in the summer, who everyone has raved about his speed. Everyone says he's got a ton of potential. That's awesome. Comes in this Big Cat weekend, lands four-star wide receiver Malcolm Simmons, and flips five-star wide receiver Perry Thompson from the University of Alabama. That is as good of a first summer that you could possibly have as a wide receiver's coach. That's a great summer for any wide receiver's coach, no matter where you are. But the fact that it's your first year, that's huge. Massive, massive shout-out to Marcus Davis. And now, and not not even to mention the, the the transfer wide receivers that Auburn has landed. But now, obviously, it'll shift to see how he can develop guys and uh, all that. But just overall, to look at this this summer class, you know, and I kind of I kind of see summer mainly as the months of June and July. That's like the real summer, in my opinion. So if you look at the commits Auburn has landed, you have four-star linebacker Joseph Phillips, three-star linebacker DJ Barber, four-star cornerback Kinsley Faustin, three-star wide receiver Bar- Bryce Kane, four-star defensive lineman Malik Blockton, four-star cornerback Jalen Crawford, four-star wide receiver Malcolm Simmons, five-star linebacker DeMarcus Reddick, and five-star wide receiver Perry Thompson. That is just in the span of two months. And just off of the quick math, that is twice as many guys as Harson brought in last summer. And Harson's last summer really wasn't even that bad. Like, the Big Cat weekend got a lot of guys interested in Auburn. It was kind of the same thing as this, this year's, is you got a lot of guys who maybe didn't commit that weekend, but you won them that weekend. And, you know, you look at this class in particular – DeAndre Carter, TJ Lindsay are guys are going to be committing, you know, in the next few weeks, next few months. Those guys are probably going to pick Auburn. Auburn leads for both of them. And Big Cat Weekend was a huge part of that. So while Auburn, yeah, Auburn had three commits kind of on Big Cat Weekend, but it turned into so much more. And so I think that that's the strength that you got to look at. And that really is shifting into this week. And we're going to see kind of a little bit more the the staff's going to be put to the test with arguably the biggest test. You got K.J. Bolden as kind of the the big fish left. Top 10 player in the class, five-star safety. Uh, It seems like his top four is Auburn, Georgia, Florida State, and Ohio State. Wheeler, why don't you just kind of give us your your quick thoughts about that? And obviously, 
the dead period has started. So after as of Monday at midnight, coaches are not allowed to speak with recruits, not allowed to do anything like that. So Wheeler just kind of no one really knows. In my opinion, no one really knows what's going on except for KJ himself. But why don't you just kind of give us your thoughts about KJ's recruitment in general, some things you saw during Big Cat Weekend. Obviously, a lot of the current commits were talking to him, trying to recruit him themselves. Just kind of give us your thoughts about where you're at with that and kind of what you think might happen on Saturday night. I do think people are reading a lot into him saying, wait on me, you know, on an Instagram Live when Perry's, you know, committing. I think that if you see what happens in the video, how hype it is, I would say wait on me if I was not going to that school, just because if I'm going to be somewhere, I want to be there at the most hype moment of the entire weekend. Like, so I don't want to read into that and be like, oh, he meant like I'm committing to. Um, he did say in some of his uh, interviews right after that he almost committed when he went up to Hughes' office. It was widely reported that he was the last guy to leave Big Cat, that all the other recruits left Big Cat, and he went up to Hugh's office, and he and Hugh had a nice long talk. I don't think that anybody knows. I think that basically what you're seeing are the crystal balls are for, you know, if you look at the Auburn pages, everybody, even if they don't put in a crystal ball, they're like, we feel great about this. If you go to the Georgia pages, their guys all say, we feel great about this, Ohio State, Florida State. I do think it's a two-team race between Auburn and Florida State, personally. Um, and, I mean, I think we're backing up the Brinks truck. I think we're giving them the most NIL we can possibly do. I think that all the schools are. I think that hopefully, you know, we're all, I think we're on par, at least, to be in the top five. Um, but we'll just have to see what what he ends up doing. I don't personally feel great about it. I just feel like if he were going to come to Auburn, after that long talk, he's probably going to silently commit to Hugh. And if he silently commits to Hugh, then you're probably going to get some crystal balls put in for him. Unless Hugh just doesn't want to jinx it and doesn't tell a soul that he's silently committed. He also talked to Hugh last, which, again, I just don't think is – I mean, it's a great thing to have in case he changes. But from what I heard, he was telling the coaches on Sunday mm -hmm. what he was deciding because he, he didn't want to be the guy that the coaches all sit there and watch. And it's like, Oh, is he going to choose us? And then he can't even talk to him in the dead period. I think that he's, I think he was just too high character to do that. So I think the coaches know, um, but I don't think that anybody's, you know, said anything about it. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't feel great about it. It seems to me like with all these five stars coming in, you're starting to lose the the pitch of like you'll be the guy that everybody remembers, you know. And so if you don't have that pitch and you're Auburn, it's going to be tough to beat out a Ohio State or a Georgia or a Florida State where it's like, well, at uh, Florida State, you would be that guy. At Georgia or Ohio State, if you're going to be one of many five stars, you might as go might as well go somewhere that you're going to win a championship is probably what they're thinking. I would be ecstatic, though, because kind of given what the crystal balls are for some other guys, if you get KJ, you become a top five class in the country with three commits. And so you will have less commits than almost everybody in the country, and you'll be in the top five. Um, I don't think they'll crack further than five inside of the top five for this class. It's just the top four are just so ridiculously loaded. Maybe if you if everything goes right, you could probably get to four. They're not going to get to one. 
Like Georgia's class this year is just stupid, whether they get them or not. I mean, it is just when you win back to back national championships and you have a huge NIL collective, of course you're gonna have just a stupid recruiting class. So I think I think four is your absolute ceiling on this class. Five would be where you get with KJ and otherwise you'll just be a top ten class. So I mean, I don't know. It'll be exciting. I'll definitely be watching his commitment. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people, I mean, this is truly a recruitment where you look at it and you're like, no matter what he chooses, the Auburn staff did everything they could have. It's like the the NIL is there. The the, the alignment, everyone's been talking about the alignment. The alignment's there. The weekend was there. Like, obviously, like Big Cat weekend, you had momentum coming into the weekend. The last real experience he has with coaches, he's in Auburn for a couple days like has a long talk with you, like there's nothing Auburn really could have done to do better in this recruitment. And now and now it's just up to the it's up to the decision of of KJ. And I think that KJ's I mean I think he's a great player, but I also think he's a good kid. And so I I, I don't think that it's gonna be, you know, I, I hope that nobody like, you know, hates on the guy no matter what he chooses, because he's not he's not really dangling dangling anything over anyone's head. He is just living his life. He's had his commitment date scheduled. Like he's just going to be a, a normal recruit. So I think if he comes to Auburn, it's incredible. The the class will get even better than it is. But, you know, if, if he doesn't, the class is still going to be great. And the class still has a great shot at cracking the top 10 and being a top 10 class, which will be the first time, I, I believe, since the 2019 class, that was a top 10 class, um, which is obviously where Auburn needs to be. And I, I think it was interesting. The a lot of people I think have been, you know, a lot of Auburn fans have been reminiscing on on this class and being like, oh, like when has Auburn ever done this? And I think that it's just needed a little bit to just kind of give people a reminder that Auburn football recruiting was extremely good before the 2020 season. Like Auburn had multiple top 10 classes. Gus Malzahn put out top 10 classes like they were nothing. Like, it was very rare that Gus wasn't in the top 10. And if he wasn't in the top 10, he was pretty dang close to it. Chiswick had some great classes at Auburn. Like, Chiswick had a top five class. Uh, I I believe he had a class ranked six as well. And Gus has had multiple recruiting classes with multiple five stars in it. So this is not an unprecedented event. This is Auburn going back to Auburn. But the fact is... Gus Malzahn's last year, really his last year, the recruiting class wasn't even that bad. But when he got fired, a bunch of them left. So Harson had to try and salvage the class, had 2021, which was okay, which most of them aren't even here anymore. 2022, you know, it, it ended up being fine. Hugh ended up kind of saving it a little bit. But overall, Auburn recruiting is a unit like Auburn is not some you know trash school Auburn has had money Auburn has had the history Auburn is a school that is going to be high in recruiting and I think that Hugh really isn't necessarily ushering ushering in a new era but bringing a new era back and Auburn is going to be known as like yeah Auburn's a school that's constantly in the top five and it's a or in the top 10 and you look at the top 10 schools and you're like George is always going to be there Alabama is always going to be there Ohio State's always going to be there Auburn's always going to be there. And I think that's really what Hugh Freeze is bringing with this class. And I think that if he can crack the top 10 in his first real class at Auburn, it'd be great for momentum. And like we just said, getting those really good players back 
you know, in the class and on the team and really seeing, you know, the the difference. Because you really do, like, if you go back and you really look through classes, like if you look through the 13, 14, 15, 16 classes, the top guys, I mean, most of them, you start looking through them and it's just names coming back of your memory of Auburn football during the, the, the ensuing years where you're like, oh, yeah, I remember him. He was good. He was a dog. He was really good for us. He was really solid. And that's how it works. Like, typically, you're not plugging in so many transfers. And that's kind of where Auburn's at this year. And you're going to see a ton of transfers being big-time players. And that's not that's not a bad thing. Like, obviously, transfers are great. But when you rely too heavily on transfers, you deal with some recurring problems with chemistry and stuff like that. But building guys through high school, you start getting that uniformity of, you know, Hugh Freeze will be here throughout Perry Thompson's career. Perry Thompson will, in probably three years at Auburn, will be in Hugh Freeze's offense the whole time. And that that means something. That means something you don't have to learn a new offense every spring. It means something that you don't have to completely change your defensive scheme every fall. Like, that really matters, and I think that that's really what Hugh Freeze is doing. And obviously we brought in, you know, brought in a transfer a couple days ago, Dylan Sender from Northwestern. Like, I'm not saying transfers are bad, but I do think that, Hugh is getting back to the high school guys coming to Auburn, staying at Auburn their career, and that's going to be your guys. And but you I plug. would consider him a high school guy. I mean, yeah. it, as far as transfers go, there are guys that are coming out of high school, and he's going to be on campus before they are. Yeah. Like, he moved in when all of the freshmen that didn't early enroll moved in to campus. Well, I guess some of them probably went through summer workouts. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he's not even a transfer, in my opinion, other than the fact that he's put on like 30 pounds, I think, since he's been at Northwestern. Um, and so that he's going to be a big time factor. But I agree with you about the the transfers and killing the camaraderie. And the thing about it is you look on offense. Philip Montgomery was at Tulsa for a very long time and he got fired. Okay. He wasn't very good for the past couple of years. I don't see him leaving for a big, bigger job. Like he's not going to get a bigger job opportunity as an OC than Auburn. Like that's just the fact of it, because especially if you start making the playoff, there is no bigger thing. If you're making the playoff consistently, there's no bigger thing. And he's not going to get a head coaching job anytime soon. Like guys that just got fired as being a head coach. When you come from the level of like Tulsa, probably not going to go be a head coach somewhere. So you're going to have the consistency of Philip Montgomery because a lot of people think that Hugh is going to be coaching the offense, and he has said in multiple interviews, in today's college football, you have to choose whether you want to be an X's and O's coach or whether you want to be a guy that recruits because recruiting has become a 24-7 game. And I think you're seeing Kirby might do, you know, d- defensive game plan during the week a little bit, really just calling, like, certain things on defense. Same with Saban. These high-level guys are not doing the X's and O's anymore. They're bringing in gurus who are X's and O's guys who can still talk and are still like normal people. But the head coach's role is so much more than what is happening on the football field that that's basically what Hugh has said is like, I hired somebody to come in who's great at running the X's and O's of a of a offense, and I'm going to let him handle it. So something that I will tell all of the listeners, okay, you need to go and watch Demarcus Riddick's highlight tape because this guy it's one thing to hear somebody's a five star 
It's another thing to realize that this guy is going to be a middle linebacker, and inside of his highlight tape, you can see him play defensive end, outside linebacker, covering a slot receiver. Not your old-time slot receiver who's like the big, tall guy that tries to box you out. The modern-day slot receiver is the little white guy this fast as lightning, and he covers him, okay? Then you see him play safety on a play. And then there are two punt returns for touchdowns, one of which he has four guys, literally four. You can count them up. Four guys on top of him. He throws all four of them off and then outruns the rest of the coverage. And everybody says, oh, well, this must be like AISA or 2A football. This is 6A football. And if you go and look at Chilton County's record, he doesn't have a lot of help. Okay. <laughs> Their record is trash. They were they went over in 2021. Last year, I think they won like four games with a five star on their team. Like he doesn't have any help. You should go and watch the you need to go and watch the highlight plays because you're just going to be like, wow, this guy is a freak of nature. That he can line up. He literally lined up at every single position on the defense, other than nose tackle. That's that's the only thing that he did not line up at, or nose guard, sorry that he did not line up at in his highlight tape. He lined up at slot receiver, running back, uh, defensive end, linebacker, safety, covering the slot, everything. He can do it all. Now, I don't think he'll be the punt returner at Auburn because, thank goodness, we have people who are faster than our middle linebacker. But that just shows the athleticism that he has. He reminds me a lot, and I know Auburn fans are going to be a little weary of me saying that a five-star reminds me of Owen Papo, but because of how his career ended. But if he stays healthy, Owen Papo was great. Owen just had a little bit of trouble covering people. Yeah, but I mean, the thing, I think when you look at Owen Papo's Auburn career, like, and you know, we, we've we've talked about this extensively, but he was a four-year starter for Auburn. And at that, you know, the Penn State game, if you watch the Penn State game, the first the first Penn State game, Owen was unstoppable. He was incredible. And he obviously he got hurt that game and missed a lot of the season. He was unstoppable against Ole Miss, got hurt again. Like he he was the epitome of health for his first two years starting, started getting hurt his junior and senior years. He was a really good player for us. And if he had stayed healthy, he would be an all-time guy, I think. I mean, I, I think I think his talent level was unmatched. But I, I do agree with you that Riddick mirrors him. And when you watch him, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, this guy's just more athletic than everyone else. And obviously, like, that's that's great. And obviously, and Owen Papo, like, you know, you, 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 you look at these guys and we're like, oh, like, you know, in two years, like, these guys are going to be the guys. Like, Owen Papo started on Auburn's 2019 defense. That was one of the best defenses Auburn's ever had as a true freshman right next to K.J. Britt. Beat out guys like Zacoby McLean who ended up leading the FBS and tackles the, the following year. Like, Owen Papo was an absolute dog, and I th- and I completely agree with you that Riddick will be up to that level as well. But I just kind of wanted to add a little bit more credibility to what you said earlier with, you know, you kind of see certain head coaches kind of have to step back and focus on recruiting to keep their recruiting elite. USC's recruiting is 13th in the country, and that's good. But you have Lincoln Riley – you're in a conference that is terrible. Like you're really the you and Oregon are really the only schools left. And Southern California is an insane hotbed of talent. You're at USC, which is arguably the I mean, it is it is the premier brand 
west of Alabama. Like, it is the premier college football brand. You have Lincoln Riley, who is one of the most proven coaches in college football, who still has a very hands-on role with the team, with the offense. And he's 13th in recruiting. I think that if Lincoln Riley focused entirely on recruiting, they'd be top five easy because it's USC and it's Lincoln Riley. But the fact that they're a little bit worse because it's like you can have good players, so they're still going to compete. But Riley wants to focus on the offense, and he's a great offensive mind. That's great. Like that, USC is going to be great. But I think that that adds to it. Like Kirby's not like Kirby's got Will Muschamp to coach to help coach the defense. Like Will Muschamp is a top five defensive mind in college football. So while Kirby might be just as good of a mind, he knows he can hire people to do the same thing he can do. And he can recruit because he can recruit at an elite level. He's the head coach, and he can do that. So I I really do like what you said about that, and I think that it's good that Hugh is focusing on that. And obviously, like, Hugh's going to have a very hands-on role with the offense, you know, during the season. But it's just not, you know, not calling plays, not doing stuff like that, focusing on recruiting instead of doing that. And Philip Montgomery's a very capable play caller. So I I really do think that the the Auburn – arrangement that they have going right now is obviously working in the summer and we'll see how it works in the fall but you know one month away and we're really getting close to that you know the first kick against UMass and you kind of start able to ease into it so I I, I'm really excited about this season and you know commonly I did a question sticker uh, a couple nights ago and a commonly asked question uh, was obviously you know recruiting and stuff like that but Wheeler this is a question I want to kind of flip towards you your prediction of kind of the season. We we talked about this after spring ball, had a couple podcasts talking about what our predictions were, where we thought Auburn would lay out. Has your prediction really changed much? Has it increased? Has it decreased? Where are you at with where you think Auburn will will line up uh in the fall? Yeah. So we're gonna do another episode shortly after this one where we go through the schedule um game by game. My only hesitation is going to be that the schedule is really brutal um, <clears throat> and not we're, we're just unsure. I would say the schools that we're unsure about. First of all, I think Vanderbilt is going to be better than people are giving him credit for. Wheeler, I, y'all have to realize Wheeler is terrified of that Vanderbilt game. We have talked so many times about it. He's petrified. I think we blow him out. But continue. I would also say the Cal game. Cal is ranked in the top 50, okay? Everybody just has that marked down as <clears throat> a fun trip out to California. Let me tell you, it this is going to be a problem. You've got a top 50 team that this is going to be probably the game that they want to win the most this year. And you've got guys who are going to be playing at 9 p.m. local time. So I know people say, oh, college students are used to staying up late. Are they? Are college football players, after you go through fall camp, you think they're staying up late during fall camp? You think they're staying up late during the week, during the season? I mean, maybe a little bit, maybe occasionally, but that's late. Nine, you're going to end that game at 1 o'clock, 12.30, 1 o'clock. You're going to shower. You're going to drive over to the airport. You'll probably get back to Auburn at 2 p.m. on Sunday. That's going to be a problem. I mean, yeah, it's Sanford the next week. But if you stay up 
and you don't get home till 2 p.m. the next day, you are not going to feel like practicing. And that's going to be your normal schedule is going to be Sunday. You clean up what happened on Saturday. Obviously, that's not going to happen. You would normally take Monday off. So do you take the rest of the day Sunday and then you start working on Monday? Do you take Sunday and Monday off? You know, I mean, these are just things that people just look at the schedule and they say, oh, Cal, that's a win. I mean, I'm not going to say Sanford's going to beat Auburn or that it's going to be an ugly game, though. I just want to set the expectation now. It is impossible to expect these guys to have a very good performance mentally and physically the week after they stay up till 2 p.m. the next day. Like, other than the freak athletes, it's going to be a problem. Every It's a physiologic fact. So those are just some, some insights that I feel like people are not thinking about when they look at, oh, that's three easy ones, then you get into the meteor schedule. Okay, so you're probably going to have a letdown game somewhere, whether it's the Sanford game or whether it's going on the road the next week to Texas A&M. Okay, you go out to Texas and it's burning slap up. If that's a 2.30 game, I'm going to chalk that up as a loss. I just there's, there's got to be the point eventually where the wall gets hit. And I honestly, I hope that the Sanford game is the ugly, sloppy game because mm-hmm. if they look crisp against Sanford – Katie bar the door. I'm going to go put my money on Texas A&M because you just can't do it. It's not healthy for you. It's not. It's not how people are made to be. Um, and I think that that was an L from the athletic department, honestly, allowing that game to be played at 9 p.m. I mean, you got to put something in the contract. 9 p.m. local. That that is a massive problem. Now, conversely. Maybe they could stay the night out in California and come back later Sunday, but you're still missing the two days. Like, yeah. there's not a good way to handle this situation. And I think that's why you see a lot of teams not want to play these cross-country games unless it's the first game of the season. Like USC, Auburn went out to USC, USC came back, but both of those were earlier games. They were not the Pac-12 after dark mm-hmm. or whatever it's going to be after this entire debacle happens. The Pac-9. Yeah, the Pac-9 on Apple TV+. Plus. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I I think that eight games is a really solid year this year. I think people are starting to smoke the crack. They're starting to think, oh, we can get 10, 10 maybe compete for the playoff. I I just don't see that. I, I don't see it. Yeah, I, I think that I think that anywhere from eight to ten is realistic, depending on certain games, obviously. And obviously, like you have to you have to beat Cal. Like that's a big one, and that's not like I do feel bad because I think that everyone is kind of like, oh, like it, it's Cal. Like no one, like you don't really know Cal football. Like when you think of Cal football, you think of Marshawn driving the driving the cart year like decade ago. Yeah. So I, I don't think that Cal football really is known to many people. They're going to be a solid team. Now, I don't think they're going to have a home field advantage. Like that's not going to be a real thing. So I think playing them on the road isn't necessarily like, oh my gosh, we're going into a hostile. It's not like it's not like Penn State in 2021. But I, I do agree with you. I think that I think that the Cal game that they'll be juiced for it. I think and I think that it'll be I, I think we win the game. I think it'll be – I don't think it'll be a blowout. I think it'll be a close game. I think that the Sanford – because you know Sanford is going to be – it's going to be just a bad game. So, regardless, but I think that the Cal game will be interesting. And I think it'll be a good test for the team early. 
I don't think it's good to play just nobodies multiple weeks straight because then I think you you see what kind of happened when you know Auburn. If I'm not mistaken, they played it was Mercer, Alabama. No, it was Akron, Alabama State, Mercer. Penn State, and then Georgia State. Yeah. And then that Georgia State game, everyone knows, is when the wheels kind of fell off. But it was like you played two duffer games, you played a really big-time game, and then it's like, oh, and then we have some school that I, I've never heard of come back. So I, I think that that's when you really – it's kind of that the game right after the tough game is when you really start seeing the the wheels falling off. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think that Texas A&M and LSU are the biggest coin flip games. you got to steal one. I think that that is the biggest thing for Hugh Freeze early. You got to beat one of those teams. And if you don't, you got to beat Georgia or Alabama. Like you have to have a marquee win for the year. And, you know, without getting too much into just the meat of the schedule, like, I mean, Auburn head coaches in year one Iron Bowls are always competitive. Like Chiswick in 09 was very, like that was a very competitive game. Auburn should have won that game. 2010, obviously he comes back and he wins. You know, you have Malzahn, 13. He wins an electric, incredible Iron Bowl, 14. Very competitive game, but tough loss. And then Harson, 2021, four overtimes. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. You're going to have that Auburn crowd. It's going to you. It's gonna be a competitive game, but the ball needs to bounce your way, and you, you need to win the game. I think it'll be interesting to see how he does against Georgia. But overall, I think that if you don't steal one of those road games, you have to steal one of the big-time rivalries, which I really think you need to get anyway. You need to get one anyways. And I think that the Iron Bowl, just looking at history, makes the most sense. But we'll we'll get all into that in our, in our next podcast. But that kind of wraps up our kind of recruiting update. We'll obviously uh, – we'll, we'll pump out another podcast. We'll probably release it tomorrow. But, yeah, this is just kind of, you know, getting back into into the swing of things. We're a month away from football. We cannot wait. And, obviously, recruiting, we're going to have more to talk about next week with a lot more a lot more targets scheduled to commit. But it'll be a good time, and uh, we'll just have to kind of wait and see where, where, the, where the chips lie. But thank you guys so much for listening, and War Eagle. War Eagle.